listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Vanessa Ramin. That's Becky Winslow. We are the hosts of PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the most amazing, largest pharmacy podcast in the nation. One of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. We're coming to you today, March 24th, 2022, in recognition of the National Adverse Drug Event Awareness Day. Today, we're talking about the Right Drug Dose Act, now ACT whose um, intentions are to update the Department of Human Health Services National Action Plan for Adverse Drug Event Prevention. Um, An adverse drug uh, event is is harm that results from medication intervention. Despite extensive medication and national efforts to prevent them, there's approximately 1.3 million emergency department visits, 350 hospitalizations, and over 3 billion in excess uh, medical costs. And that occurs every single year in the United States due to adverse drug events. So pharmacogenomic testing is just one tool that's proposed to prevent adverse events. It assists the prescribers to identify the patient's potential adverse um, events for certain medications before they start the patient on that medication. And because uh, adverse drug reactions are a significant burden of morbidity and mortality issues in the U.S., and PGX testing has proven its clinical and financial utility in preventing that, Representative Tom Emmer and Eric Suss Swalwell recently introduced this legislation to better address this issue. The, so the goal of the legislation is really that all Americans have access to medication treatment that's best for them. So again, the bill is called the Right Drug Dose Now Act. It is a long name, <laughs> but uh, it would create an educational, the goal is to create educational campaign to prevent adverse drug events improve uh, electronic health record system to alert healthcare providers that there's a drug-drug interaction uh, at the point of prescribing. And lastly, which is my favorite also, um, is the bill will allocate additional funding to the Genomic Community Resources Program at NIH to integrate the PGX testing into patient care. So I wanted to introduce our first amazing guest. Uh, I love her, Christine Ashcraft. She's a molecular biologist by training and is a former CEO and founder of Uscript, which was uh, recently acquired by Invitae. She works. Uh, she has worked in the pharmacogenomics space since 2000 and was recently named a top, one of the top 25 leading voices in precision medicine. Christine has authored multiple publications on both the clinical and the economic benefits of PGX testing. 
She serves at the steering committee of Stripe, which is the FDA collaborative community for PGX. She has been interviewed by numerous media, including New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, NBC Nightly News, I probably have not named them all, and has spoken at American Society of Human Genetics and numerous other precision medic, um, medicine conferences. And now speaking on one of the top 20 genomic podcasts in the globe, which is PGX for Pharmacist Podcast. Thanks, Becky, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Um, we also have with us today, Rachel Brummert. Um, she serves as a special government employee at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And she is a contributor at Drug Watch and Med Shadow Foundation. She's also a collaborator uh, at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and she's a nationally known patient advocate. Her experience with an adverse drug reaction from a commonly prescribed antibiotic actually led her to the field of patient safety, pharmacovigilance, and pharmacogenomics. So she chose to use her experience as a harmed patient to actually advocate for others. And she works in partnership with established consumer advocacy groups and agencies whose work centers around patient safety. So she has essentially turned her pain into purpose. Couldn't think of a better guest to have with us today on this episode. So. Thank you, Christine and Rachel, for uh, taking the time to be on the show with us to discuss the Right Drug Dose Now Act. Um, that was a mouthful. Christine, can you start off by explaining to our audience, what is the act? Sure. It's the Right Act for short, which I'd encourage right. us all to say, because it, it seems a bit less of a mouthful Thank than you. the Right Drug Dose Now Act. <laughs> um, so, there have been a number of papers that have been published about barriers to widespread adoption of pharmacogenomics. Uh, one of the things that's often cited is reimbursement. Uh, thankfully, Medicare local coverage determinations came out in 2020 that dramatically expanded coverage for pharmacogenomics to align with CPIC and FDA guidance. Um, and we're hoping that the commercials soon follow suit in uh, looking to improve patient safety and improve outcomes. But the other barriers that this is helping to address that come up quite often, uh, number one is a lack of education. Both providers and patients um, are not as well-versed as they could be in the impact that genetic variability can have. They also don't tend to understand just how large the adverse drug event uh, epidemic, and I will call it an epidemic, uh, is. You know, we lose a life every two minutes to non-optimized medications in this country. That is a full 747 every 17 hours. If that were happening and we actually saw planes falling yeah. out of the sky, there would be a concerted effort to address this immediately. Mm -hmm. So part of the act allocates $50 million uh, annually to educate both providers and patients about adverse drug events and how pharmacogenomics can play a role in reducing uh, the mortality and morbidity associated with it. Um, that's for a handful of years and specifically allocates a portion of the funding to rural and underserved communities. Um, that's especially near and dear to me because I love the academic medical centers that have mainly spearheaded adoption of pharmacogenomics, but unfortunately, most Americans uh, do not live right next to an academic medical center. Um, so that's a portion. There's also money allocated, uh, as Banaz mentioned, for um, sustained funding for pharmacogenetics implementation and research, such as C CPIC and PharmGKB, 
which, you know, CPIC is the guidelines body that most people look to uh, for pharmacogenetic uh, implementation. The other thing is to uh, update the National Adverse Drug Event Plan to incorporate the impact of pharmacogenomics uh, if you am the FAERS database. So the FDA Adverse Event Reporting System does not have an easy way to say, hey, this patient had another heart attack because they were put on Plavix and they're a 2C19 form metabolizer, for example. <laughs> um, it can be put in text, but it's, it's a bit buried. So making that easier to track and report so people understand uh, the impact of this. And then the other one that Banaz mentioned as well is the EHR piece. Mm -hmm. So we do have the ability and have for years. We first put PGX test results into the EHR um, at my company alone back in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's very doable. This is <laughs> over That's a decade serious. later. Uh, it's a discrete result, but it should be stored just like an allergy and looked mm -hmm. at any time a medication decision is made the rest of a patient's life to make sure we are giving them the safest and most effective drugs and doses the evidence allows for. So not just alerting for drug, drug and drug allergy, but also drug gene and drug, drug gene. Absolutely, absolutely. That was a very, very nice, succinct and clear explanation of that act, which if you look at the act, it's multiple pages and sometimes you can get lost in legal jargon. So <laughs> thanks for that, Christine. Um, so Christine, before we ask Rachel to share with us uh, her personal experience with um, an ADE, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on how the act will advance patient care so that um, mm. persons such as Rachel maybe won't have a, a pain story to tell about an ADE? Yeah, I think that with a concerted educational effort uh, around the impact of adverse drug events, as well as uh, improving tools that can help us prevent those. I mean, doctors and pharmacists are really, really busy and there are clinical decision support tools out there, many of them that can make it a lot easier uh, to avoid adverse drug events. Um, we're just not leveraging them as we could. There are tools such as pharmacogenetics that are underutilized. Um, so I think a, a portion of it is just making it a lot easier for healthcare providers to do the right thing by patients and to have that evidence at their fingertips. I agree, I agree. So I have a question, Christine. So why do you think knowing all this facts that's been around for a long time, is this adoption so slow or not, not a lot of people know about it are not implementing it and not adopting and maybe don't want to? Yeah. I, I think part of it is an issue, um, I think an issue I see with healthcare in general, that it tends to be very siloed. Um, so, you know, I'm a cardiologist, I prescribe cardiology meds, and that's the only thing I want to think about. Um, the thing is that pharmacogenetics and medication management impacts patients across multiple disease states. Uh, we have a growing polypharmacy uh, population in the United States. We have over 40 million patients taking five or more medications a day currently. Uh, that's expected to double by 2040 with our aging baby boomers, the silver tsunami. Uh, yeah. And so the, the, <laughs> the more medications you take, um, the more likely you are to have a problem and the more impactful this pharmacogenetic information that's already important uh, becomes. And it's not oh, let's order it and just use it to help guide depression treatment. Those same genes impact cardiology meds, pain meds. Um, so it's it's something that requires global education, 
global updates to clinical decision support. It's not as easy as going to one specialty or one disease state and optimizing it. It goes across the entire patient care continuum. So I think it's a it's a bigger lift. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely, sure, definitely. So Rachel, I mean, it's so wonderful to have a, a I, I don't, maybe I shouldn't call you a patient, a representative, <laughs> an advocate, but I mean, you have a real story and you've experienced this yourself. Who better to be more passionate and to be an advocate um, than you? So can you share with our audience uh, your experience with the adverse drug event and how it impacted your life and, you know, so that our audience can better relate to how this act um, can help improve outcomes, you know, maybe prevent outcomes like you experienced? Yeah, so in 2006, um, I felt sick and I went to my doctor and um it was a suspected sinus infection and it was an infection that it, it turned out I never had in the first place. Um, but my doctor gave me Leviquin for that. And about, about a month after I started taking it, my Achilles tendon ruptured in my right foot. And then um, like six months after that, my Achilles ruptured in my other foot. And then I had another rupture on top of that. So over the last 16 years, I've had over 30 tendon ruptures just from the Leviquin. Um, so I was never told that there could be adverse reactions. I was never told, I was told that it was, that it was safe. Um, you know, it, it couldn't hurt to take an antibiotic, even though I didn't really have an infection. It was just, you know, just, you know, we're going to throw this at you and we're going to, yeah. you know, it'll knock out if you have anything. And if you don't have anything, then it's not going to do any harm. So, you know, it turned out for me that the, the cure or the the treatment was worse than the illness itself. Absolutely. Um, you know, this all requires surgery. It requires a lot of money, a lot of doctors, a lot of medications, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things that, that wouldn't have come about had I known that there were adverse reactions to these medications. So, you know, I became an accidental advocate. Um, you know, I just started sharing my story and it turned out that it was happening to a lot of people is that we're taking medications that, we just kind of blindly trust our doctors to prescribe. And, you know, I'm learning through all of this that we need to have a conversation with physicians and say, what are some of the, you know, what are some of the side effects for this? What could happen to me? What, you know, are there black box warnings on this? Is this the appropriate medication for me? So all of this came into play, um, you know, after I was harmed, but I don't want anybody to, to, to learn the hard way like I did. I want them to to understand that there are adverse reactions and that there are consequences to taking medications. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that there's a right way and a wrong way to have that conversation with your doctors to just ask, what are some of the things that can happen? What are some of the things being reported? You know, do your research before you take a medication, I think. So, um, you know, after this happened to me, it just kind of started a dialogue with my physicians about, you know, adverse reactions. And then, I went to work for the FDA. So I wanted to kind of, I wanted to make a difference on the policy end of it. So, you know, I understand the patient side, but I also understand the policy side now. Sure. And, sure. you know, it was all just because this, you know, this horrible thing happened from a medication that was supposed to help me. Mm hmm mm hmm Yeah, and, and Rachel, that is a very common medic uh, antibiotic uh, medication that you got. So, you know, I, I, not everyone, I feel like not everyone since I'm in the more or the older adult space as well, not everyone has access to, um, you know, uh, that 
cell phone to Google stuff online or can't mm-hmm. even pronounce the medication name. <laughs> or like you said, do they just trust that whatever medication they get from a provider, that's the right one to take? So, you know, a lot, a lot of the um, older adults, homebound, you know, lack of literacy, all those th- things. And, you know, some people can't even pick up their prescriptions from a pharmacy. They haven't mm-hmm. delivered. So there's a lot of uh, patient uh, wise a lot of interactions they can't have um, or now tele, tele, um, telehealth. So they can't mm-hmm. even be physically present. So how do we, you, as a patient perspective, I guess, how do we address those? Because um, I think we we also have an obligation as patients to ask, but then some of us don't have all those opportunities. Yeah, I, I, I don't really have an answer to that. I don't know how to reach, you know, populations that don't have access to that information. Well, no, but... an answer, but, you know. <laughs> I don't think yeah, no, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. You know, there's, there's rural communities that don't have access to that information. I don't, I don't really know how to address that. Um, I don't Christine, maybe you have thoughts on that. I, my answer is pharmacists in CAPES. No, I, I think that mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I learned early on in my career in pharmacogenomics that was news to me is that pharmacists were not federally recognized as healthcare providers. And I was like, what? But you go to school as long as doctors do just to look at how drugs work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they're a very underutilized resource. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, um, most patients live within five miles of a pharmacy, right. but they can be much, much further away from other healthcare resources. And so mm-hmm. I think really, uh, elevating the ability of pharmacists to provide a vital service in optimizing medication dosing and selection as much as possible is going to do a huge amount in curbing the adverse drug event epidemic. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's long overdue. Yeah, I noticed that pharmacists are more knowledgeable of these medications than some of the doctors are when they prescribe the medicine. So, I'd, you know, I'd like to see pharmacies uh, be utilized a little bit more in terms of education and, you know, maybe they can you know, help give a patient some information that maybe the doctor didn't think to give. It's like, you know, I'll fill this for you, but you should know that this could happen or this could happen. Because I think they're a little more knowledgeable um, in terms of, um, you know, adverse events and side effects. Yeah, I think, you know, pointing to what you said, Christine, the pharmacist could be the one to say to the patient that doesn't maybe know the difference. Hey, did your doctor test your genetics before they prescribed this Mm -hmm. medication? Um, you know, and if the doctor didn't, then, you know, that pharmacist can be an advocate for that patient. So absolutely, Christine, thanks for bringing up the role pharmacists can play. After yeah. all, this is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. <laughs> we, like to, we like to promote pharmacists and pharmacogenomics. Um, yes, so definitely. absolutely. So maybe some of that funding from the act that we talked about can go to um, better educating pharmacists and giving them the tools they need in the community. Yeah. So uh, pharmacists can... are called out as part of the educational outreach effort. Mm-hmm. So pharmacists, mm-hmm. um, uh, healthcare providers in general, as well as patients. So right. um, that's awesome news because um, we've always known as pharmacists that we could do it. Um, the funding hasn't been there to maybe yeah. help some of those that, that need that funding. So Well, I find it interesting. The uh, FDA and drug development guidance for decades has stated that drug gene and drug-drug interactions are similar in scope. 
They mm-hmm. actually have a list of probe drugs that are potent inhibitors of substrates sure. to make a patient as if they are a poor metabolizer. So this is the same mechanism of drug interactions that pharmacists were very well trained on in school. I'm like, it's the same kind of thing, only your genes don't go away. You can take away an inhibiting drug and the interaction resolves, but you can't take away a poor metabolizer genetically. But um <laughs> I, I think, you know, when I learned that, I was like, well, this is this is just a very logical extension of the skills that pharmacists already have. Very much so. Very yeah. much and that, so. that information you're talking about, Christine, is on uh, most, if not all, package inserts of the medications. Yeah. So do, do we, um, do you know how the funding or can be accessed or when the funding or do you apply for it? Do you need any logistics about that piece? Yeah. Well, I, I learned a lot more about the legislative process than the Bill on Capitol <laughs> Hill song I remember from Schoolhouse Rock. It's a bit more complicated. <laughs> so uh, right now, now we can have access to it. <laughs> big, big thank you to Swalwell and Emmer for introducing this mm-hmm. on the House side. Um, if anyone's listening to this and they have not, I would encourage you to go to fourthcause.org slash right act and sign either individual support or if you're part of an organization, consider asking them to sign on as organizational support for the act. The next piece we need is a Senate companion to this House bill. So we need senators to introduce it. Um, So if you have a relationship with your senator or supportive of this and are willing to uh, reach out, or even if you don't have a relationship, you should establish one. Uh, Reach out, see if they would be supportive of this or introduce it. So even when... Uh, this goes through and is passed um, uh, on both sides. You still have to go get appropriations to appropriate <laughs> funding for said past <laughs> act of Congress. Uh, yeah. But once the appropriations is in place, um, there will be uh, um, uh, likely an application um, uh, process. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that will work, but mm-hmm. um, it is detailed uh, in the bill. We're a bit a bit away from that, but I believe that different. Um, uh, institutions can apply to help. Um, that, that link that you provided, I think one of our um, listeners wanted to see if you can post put that on the link they can have access to. Yes, I know you course. mentioned it, if you can put it on there. Yeah, it's fourthcause.org slash right act. And I'm keying it in right now. Thank you, I think I see that now. Well, thank <laughs> you, we appreciate that. Um, you know, I've, I've been trying to see how it's um, possible to maybe bring that, or this is an idea maybe more than anything else, to kind of bring that education in schools. It could be pharmacy schools, it could be um, medical schools, nursing schools, all those at the time of graduation, they've already been equipped with the knowledge or certification, whatever it is on PGX they're coming out. Because I don't think um, you know, that piece is actually taught in school at all. So could that funding, is that funding something that could be used for that purpose or does it really, that's an educational piece too? Yeah, I don't think the very specific details on how the educational um, um, funding is going out have been detailed, um, but uh, I can pull up if you give me a moment the specific act um, and see, but I can't say I have it understood to that level. Of detail. Well, okay. you know, I was trying to read the act. It's like so many pages, like Becky was saying, it's like some of my skip through, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how we can bring outside of, you know, 
using social media platform and you know the website that you said people can log into um, what are the other ways we can bring education to more the public in addition to um, you know providers you know nurse practitioners PAs uh, you know pharmacists things like that I really think that patients such as Rachel who are advocates yeah. I think they educating other patients is critical um, and I've seen that happen a lot in PGX. A family member will get a PGX test and uh, they'll discover that they have genetic variants that affect their medications. They tell their neighbor and then it, that's patient-wise anyway. So Yeah, and that's kind of what happened. You know, I took one of those DNA tests. It was one of those 23andMe, um, mm -hmm. you know, back before it was just the ancestry. Um, and it turned out that I did have a gene mutation that they think is for um, whether you can detox from a fluoroquinolone antibiotic right. or not. Mm -hmm. um, so now that I have this information, that's something that I can either write an article or go on, you know, podcasts like this to, to just sort of say, you know, there's another component to this. There, you know, there could be a genetic reason why you're affected the way that you are. You know, when I when I got harmed by an antibiotic, I was kind of wondered like why certain people were okay taking this medication and other people were not okay taking this medication. So. Um, you know, I kind of feel almost a responsibility to say, maybe there's a genetic component to this, and this is something that we need to take a step back and we need to understand, um, you know, that there's, there's other factors involved in whether you can take a medication or not safely. Um, so it's, you know, that's what I've been trying to do is going on these kinds of shows and writing articles about it. And, um, you know, I have people reach out to me and be like, you know, this is something I didn't know. Tell me more about it. So, you know, it's starting a conversation and, you know, so I'm glad that there's, there's a way that we can kind of get this information out there and look at it from a different perspective. Well, one, one of the things that I, I, uh, I like also about the act is it does act, ask for it to be made easier for patients and providers to report adverse drug events. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can go to the FAERS database. It's not easily found or submitted and just automating that process. So we understand and measure better. Yeah. What interactions are happening to who? You know, a lot of the clinical studies that were done to approve medications were done a long time ago, especially for drugs that are generic, and they mainly <laughs> involved white males. So yes. um, black patients are about 1.4 times more likely to have an adverse drug reaction. Women, mm -hmm. twice as likely in 29 out of 30 tracked categories. Mm -hmm. um, but like step one is better information. Let's measure this so we can actually see what's happening and then do the best we can to make sure we're getting patients the safest and most effective drugs and doses available. I agree. Yep. That's why I've encouraged, um, there's a lot of pharmacists that are coming into this movement. They're looking into consulting and I've encouraged them all, please document your outcomes. Um, you know, document what you're doing so that we can show uh, the outcomes of this testing, uh, because we all we all know it's a great product. We know that it, it helps, but we have to prove to others <laughs> that uh, that it does what we say. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so I wanted to. I was going to say that. Um, uh, do any audience members have any questions? And feel free to type them in the chat. But where and while we're waiting for the audience, where can the maybe 
um, some people who are still learning about this and it's kind of new, maybe the first time they hear about the act, uh, not necessarily PGX, hopefully, can read a more simpler version of what it is, how they can support, how they can, you know, talk, if they were to talk about with their neighbors, what, you know, the language they would use, like, is there a more simplistic space? Yeah. Oh, I see you just posted something, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> so slash right act has details on the act. And I actually pulled it up to answer your question, which I couldn't do right off the top of my head, but it has, um, in terms of promoting awareness, it would require the National Human Genome Research Institute in partnership with other federal government entities to develop and implement two educational campaigns, one for the general public and one for healthcare providers to improve knowledge about adverse drug events and clinically appropriate use of PGX testing. The campaign would provide evidence-based messages and materials about ADEs and associated risk factors, basic information about PGX testing and comprehensive medication management, and information to allow individuals and their healthcare providers to consider whether PGX testing is appropriate as part of their healthcare plan. NHGRI would be instructed to ensure that educational efforts reach rural and underserved communities. To support the campaign, HHS would be able to award grants or contracts to help establish national multimedia campaigns focused on educating the public about ADEs and PGX. The healthcare professional education campaign would be focused on educating a range of healthcare providers that play a role in providing PGX information and related services, drug interaction alerting systems, and how to inf implement information gleaned from PGX testing. NHGRI would be able to award grants to nonprofit organizations to assist the Institute with carrying out the healthcare professional education campaign. Lastly, they would be required to publish data every th three years on the impact and outcomes of these programs. A lot of mouthful, but that, that's the details. That's and awesome. that is available in the link I just popped in the chat. Uh, and it says talking points or a summary oh, of the act perfect. at fourthcause.org. Nice. Right. Wow, I appreciate it. Perfect. That's perfect. That's exactly what I was talking about. Thank you. <laughs> you read your mind. <laughs> right. Um, Rachel, I have one question for you. So um, I know you went through that period when you were talking about your medications and the adverse events you had. And finally, I think you got your PGX test done and figured that mm -hmm. out. Have you had um, interactions with providers that are not on board with what you're trying to do? Or, you know, when you're educating and having those conversations, do you still find people that are not um, buying that or for lack of better terms? I, yeah, I've had, to, I've had some people who, yeah, I've had some people who just add, flat out says, well, you know, side effects happen. Well, they do, but that's not the conversation we should be having. Or, you know, this specific drug, you know, shouldn't cause this or this. So, you know, it's hard, for, it's hard for me to, um, to educate people who kind of have that mindset where they just don't want to hear that there could be a problem or that it's rare. That's the, that's the thing that I get the most is, well, it's rare. It really never happens. It's not as rare as you think. These things are just underreported is what I'm finding out. You know, people don't know how to report their adverse reactions to the FDA or to any other system. Um, you know, because they may not even know it's, they think it's just part of, it's supposed to happen. They don't even yeah, know. Yeah, like, right. you know, there's side effects with every medicine. That, but that's not the conversation though, as to whether it, ha it happens. You know, we just need to address the people that it does happen to and reach the people who don't know how to report their adverse drug events um, so that there's accurate numbers that we can work with. And I think that's part of why people are so closed-minded about it is that 
it is underreported. So I think, you know, if more people come forward and talk about what they're suffering with, I think more attention will be brought to it. Um, so I think part of it is just that it's it's so underreported that people think it's rare. Yeah, that's true. I was just trying to figure out with those uh, more challenging conversations, what that looks like uh, from your perspective. But I mean, I know Christine said it's not just mental health, it is, is oncology, so many different places, PGX can be used for adverse events. But um, uh, talking about just mental health, there's a STAR D trial, which is one of the largest depression trials. So that in itself speaks a lot. So, you know, the information's there. I think people just need to you know, educate themselves, um, get more yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. there. But yeah, definitely underreported as well, for sure. Well, I think I think right now one of the analogies I like, we essentially have people that are prescribing with a blindfold on. And we have the ability to take the blindfold off. Mm -hmm. Um, does it mean they will absolutely get their best drug and dose? No. Does it mean they will improve the likelihood? Absolutely. Yes. It is like investing in seatbelts or airbags. We still have car accidents. People That's still right. die, but we have a lot less fatalities and injuries than we did before we had airbags. Mm -hmm. You know, you also can't give informed consent if you don't have all the information either. So, you know, just adding that extra information um, to the equation, I think is going to help a lot. Yeah. Becky, I think we had a couple of questions. Did you want to read them or I'm trying to. So, um, Dan C is asking, uh, he says, this is a very low level question. Um, how do patients who are part of the percentage of which take handfuls of medications daily moving forward with testing? So polypharmacy, I believe is what we're talking about here. Um, polypharmacy is probably, <laughs> um, that's just a jackpot for pharmacogenomics um, <laughs> discovery. Um, so, you know, not only are you looking at individual uh, drug gene interactions, but you're also looking at phenoconversions that we've alluded to earlier in the conversation. Yeah, so, blind spot of PGX. Absolutely. Christine um, was talking about that, yeah. Yeah, phenoconversion is, uh, <laughs> well, yes, phenoconversion <laughs> and polypharmacy go hand in hand. Um, we could talk about that for a good 30 minutes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, deprescribing. Deprescribing is and the name of the game for polypharmacy for those people that are taking hands full of medication. And the pharmacogenomics test can help with that deprescribing process. Yeah, okay, we have one more question before that, too, um, from Zach. Zachary, have any of you looked at providing, in addition to a genotype, looking at things like expression level and gene copy number as part of the pharmacogenomics workup? So I don't know, maybe... Christine, maybe you can answer that question or um, expression level. I mean, I'm not entirely sure what is being asked. So for like the CYP2D6 duplication, I think that some labs do report the number of duplications. Um, um, I know that we report what is duplicated. So we know if it's a uh, star two or star right. seven that's duplicated, for example. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the the meaning of expression level is um probably right now we're we're lumping people into categories you know that are probably pretty broad although yeah, we're yeah. leaning towards point scales we don't really have prescribing for the most part based on anything aside from those genetic phenotypes um i think we will get away uh from that over time 
Um, so it would encourage anybody to store discreetly both the genetic phenotype as well, well as the genotype and diplotype information. So as the evidence evolves and we actually have more specific information uh, down to a more granular level, that can get automatically pushed um, you know, into clinical decision support in the EHR and pharmacy software system. I know there was another question about testing. Um, I know I alluded to this earlier, but Medicare did issue local coverage determinations in 2020 that dramatically expanded coverage for pharmacogenetic testing. If a patient is taking medications or medications are uh, under consideration with CPIC, AB, or FDA required or recommended, um, then, and it's properly documented, um, Medicare will cover a panel if two genes are impacted or a drug gene pair if a single gene is impacted. Um, and it's properly documented and submitted with the order. So a lot of the polypharmacy patients, although not required, do tend to be Medicare. Um, so a healthcare provider would need to order that on their behalf um, and send it to a laboratory, such as Invitae, that's able to um, bill. Um, there are also um, some patient-initiated testing um, options um, that enable people to work with a telehealth provider. Um, to order testing for them um, if they're not able to go through their own provider for some reason. So that's another option um, for people that are looking for that. Um, I know a lot of pharmacists have also started um, services in which they not only help facilitate the testing, but also importantly, review the results and help that patient reach out to all of their different prescribers to optimize their medications. Yeah. I know from personal experience that when patients go to the doctors themselves, they're sometimes discounted. But if a pharmacist says, hey, cardiologist, get this patient off Plavix, yes. they're, they're a poor metabolizer, it's much more likely to be acted upon right. than the patient coming in and saying it, unfortunately. Right. So yeah. really encourage people to leverage those services that are out there mm -hmm. that a lot of pharmacogenetic uh, pharmacists are offering. I agree with that. Um, we have another question. Are there any letters or documents that are already drafted uh, that the public and pharmacists can use to reach out to their senators to support the act? So do we have a standard letter form that people can? So back uh, to fourth org slash right act. There's an individual support and an okay. organizational support letter right there. Um, and that's forest spelled out F O U R T H cause.org slash right act. Okay, great. That's great information. A great question, by the way, that'll help everybody else too. So, yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, I just want to take a quick second to define phenoconversion. I know we throw that word around. I'm not sure if anyone, everyone on the call might know it. So very briefly, it's just when two medications um, don't work uh, in the underlying genetic factor together. So very simple example would be like if you're on um, a psych medication, for example, and I pick mental health all the time, if you're smoking for that, you can actually induce that enzyme and convert yourself. If you are a normal metabolizer of that particular enzyme, you can induce yourself and make it an ultra rapid metabolizer. So you're kind of, which means you're quickly getting rid of that medication. So you can really, so that's what phenoconversion means. Your phenotypes are normal, poor, ultra rapid. You're converting yourself to something else by adding on another environmental factor, which is smoking or another medication on. So that's what phenoconversion is. So I just wanted to uh, say that real quick because we threw that word around. Yep. All right, any last questions? We, we're about 45 minutes into this, so. And I don't, you know. I don't have questions. I do wanna make one more plug for this because I'm gonna tell you, I'm super frustrated after 22 years, I'm getting impatient. <laughs> 
Uh, when yeah. I first started my journey in pharmacogenomics, it was because I read an article about a little boy named Michael who mm -hmm. died from an adverse drug event because he was put on a very high dose of Prozac. He was a 2D6 poor metabolizer mm. and he was on other medications that blocked the other pathways that Prozac is metabolized through. The combination of these drugs and genes led to deadly levels of Prozac in his system. And yeah. since that time, uh, quick back of the envelope um, math, we have lost over 4 million lives in the United States since I read that story to adverse drug events. And this is not going to solve all of the adverse drug event problems, but it is a big, big step in the right direction. Um, mm -hmm. So I would encourage people to take the time to support this act, reach out to your senators and your representatives and encourage them to support the act, share it with your friends on social media and encourage them to sign on and support the act. This is a huge silent epidemic and on a national adverse drug event awareness day, I would encourage you um, to help us prevent things that are preventable. Well, I Thanks. appreciate that, Christine. I, I posted uh, on the chat the link to the nine-year-old boy you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that was a great, great summary, great wrap-up. So um, just want to let everybody know that this was being recorded, so you'll be able to share it or review it again, listen to it again, and we'll post that for you guys so you can share that link. Um, of course, you know we're going to post it on LinkedIn and uh, on the podcast website, so you'll be able to access it. Um, so I guess with that being said, anything else, Benaz? No, I'm sure we can find, or the audience can find Christine and Rachel on LinkedIn if they have more questions mm -hmm. on the, Absolutely. you guys are both, I think, on that social media platform. So mm -hmm. we appreciate you both for taking Thank the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. We'll hopefully chat again. Sounds good. <laughs> Happy National Adverse Drug Event Awareness Day. <laughs> <laughs> Right after that. I, and I happy birthday to Benaz, whose oh, birthday yeah. is on National Adverse Drug Awareness Day. Very hard to do that, Christine. She was destined for this. She was oh, destined. Yeah. I was born on this day. Happy birthday. <laughs> I appreciate that, Christine. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye. Have a great Have a great day. You too. You too. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.